Hi, and welcome once more to the Oplane podcast, where we talk with the movers, the shakers that are redefining the future of commercial aviation. And as usual, before I introduce today's guest, the usual reminder that you can find all the previous episodes of this podcast, as well as many other aviation stories on the Oplane website. That's oplane.tv, A-L-L-P-L-A-N-E.tv. Today, we are revisiting the topic of air cargo, but from an ESG angle a very popular topic nowadays. Because just a few weeks ago, TIACA, which is the International Air Cargo Association, launched its Blue Sky program. And what's a Blue Sky program, I hear you asking? Well, it's a multi-step evaluation and verification program that any operator in the air cargo value chain can go through in order to certify that is meeting a number of environmental and and social good practices. A sort of gold standard of ESG applied to the air cargo industry. The moment that the ACA launched its Blue Sky program, it immediately got overwhelmed with petitions from different industry players and organizations that wanted to take part in the pilot test, which is currently underway. So... I just wanted to learn more about this program and what it can do to make the air cargo industry more sustainable. So today we're going to have here TIACA's Director General, Glenn Hughes, and you will see from the passion with which he speaks about this topic that this is really a big deal in the air cargo industry. But better, let's hear it directly from him. So without further ado, let's welcome Glenn to the podcast. Hello, Glenn. How are you today? Very good. Thank you, Miguel. And thank you very much for inviting me to speak with you today. A pleasure. Today, we are going to talk about air cargo, which is a topic that we have already covered recently here on the podcast, but I think it's becoming increasingly important in the discussion about aviation and discussion about sustainability, particularly in this time when we are seeing supply chain constraints all over the world. And an air cargo is playing a, a very important role in basically in, in keeping the supply chains working. Just let me introduce you. You are the director at TIACA, which is the International Air Cargo Association. Uh, you're based in, in Geneva, although your organization is global. It has members all over the world. But first of all, I'm going to let you just give us a little bit of an introduction about yourself and about TIACA. Excellent. Thank you, Miguel. Um, well, I've been involved in air cargo for um, nearly four decades now. It's actually it's 39 years since I first joined the industry. Um, and whilst the last two, two and a half years, the world has become pretty familiar with what uh, air cargo does in terms of moving things around the world. Firstly, it was PPE and then, of course, vaccine, etc. The air cargo industry is actually longer, has a longer history than the passenger side of the industry. First commercial aviation was actually moving cargo around the world. So it has a long history, but it's really been the silent part of commercial aviation. Um, and TIACA, which is the International Air Cargo Association, as you quite rightly said, is we are a, a global trade association, but we're horizontal. We represent all members of the global supply chain, from the shipping companies to freight forwarders to trucking companies to airports to airlines to ground handlers um, to manufacturers to equipment manufacturers, all the way through um, the supply chain. So when there are issues of common interest, we can speak with a collective voice. And one of those recently was uh, really came to the fore is sustainability. But prior to that, of course, we were very active during the time of, of 
uh, the early part of COVID when we were working with various governments around the world to get airspace open for cargo flights, um, about getting procedures in place to move cargo, particularly in passenger cabins. We work very closely with other organizations like IATA, FIATA, et cetera. And in fact, I was with IATA for 30 years before joining Tiaka uh, last year. And air cargo has been actually the sort of a salvation for many airlines during the, the COVID times. They uh, had to rush to convert many aircraft to, to carry cargo when it was not possible to carry passengers. Yeah, I mean, it was crazy. In fact, you know, when you think that at the height of the pandemic around April 2020, there was about 16,000 uh, grounded aircraft um, and cargo demand was, uh, was just running rife as, as PPE demand was, was going through the roof. So about 2,500 passenger aircraft were actually deployed to move cargo. And of those, about 400 had the seats removed, which was quite phenomenal when you've got these brand new, beautiful passenger aircraft having the seats taken out so they can put boxes of cargo and other stuff in the cabin, securing them, putting them in overhead compartments, putting them in cupboards, um, having crew, cabin crew fly on board with the cargo to observe it and to monitor it to make sure nothing happened uh, mid-flight. So the industry was really extremely innovative. Um, but, but what it's important to note as well is that air cargo, as I say, has a long history and that its role in the global economy is, is really quite phenomenal in the sense that about 35% of trade moves via air, whether or not that's in the bellies of passenger aircraft or in dedicated freighters. And that represents about six and a half to seven trillion dollars worth of goods, which is a phenomenal amount of, of value that is actually moved around the world. Indeed, yeah. Actually, yesterday I was reading a bit off topic, but I was reading um, a book uh, was giving some details about the Berlin airlift in, in 1948, I think. One of the episodes in history where air cargo has basically played a vital, essential, absolutely essential role, uh, even with a, a big geopolitical dimension here in, the, in this case. Yeah, exactly. And in fact, it's that spirit of the Berlin airlift, which the air cargo industry uh, basically deploys on a daily, day, daily basis. Whether or not it's a humanitarian disaster somewhere, air cargo is the first responders. Again, coming back to the early part of, of COVID, the world didn't know what we were dealing with. We were, most of us were sheltering at home because we were working from home. And yet the people in the logistics industry, the freight forwarders, the truckers, the airlines themselves, the handlers, were all out there moving life-saving cargo around the world because they needed to get it done, even though they were putting their own health at risk. And, and really, again, coming back to the value of the air cargo industry, which is why things like sustainability is so important, because the air cargo industry is so important. And we need to be aware of the evolutionary trends in society, demands of the consumer, to make sure that as an industry, we are aligned with how the world is actually evolving. And, and just one, one statistic before we go into really the topic we want to discuss today. Um, fascinating topic for me, which is a comparison between passenger and air cargo. You mentioned about air cargo being the lifeblood for the airline industry. And in fact, industry revenues traditionally pre-COVID were about 10 to 12% of, of, of the airline revenue came from cargo. During COVID, it was closer to 40%. So indeed, mm -hmm. it did keep many airlines uh, afloat. But also from a national economic perspective, in 2019, um, the value that countries earn from tourism, inbound tourism by air, globally, those tourists spent about $850 billion. In the same year, 2019, those same countries earned about $6.4 trillion from the air cargo that moved in those same airplanes. So the value to national economy from a solid air cargo industry 
is hugely important for society development, particularly for developing nations, etc. which again is why topics such as sustainability, about the workforce, about the use of technology and digitalization are critical because the air cargo industry needs to be around to support global uh, trends and, and developments. Mm -hmm. Just to be clear, th those figures, they refer to the whole of air cargo, not just the airlines, that, let's say the, the passenger airlines that carry cargo, but it includes also cargo only airlines as well. Exactly. Yes, uh -huh. that's, that's the airline industry. We, we always tend to look at it as collective. Mm -hmm. Okay, very good. Yeah, actually, you, you touch up on an interesting topic as well, the digitalization. We had here on the podcast just a few weeks ago, the, the founder of Freitas, which is a, as a digital marketplace for air cargo. It was very, very interesting to learn about how this works behind the, behind the scenes, all this, this process to, to book cargo space on, on board aircraft. But Anyway, one topic I wanted to, to touch up on today is actually sustainability, because you guys at Tiaka have been working on a program, a project called Blue Sky, the Blue Sky program, which is what caught my eye. And that's, you know, what I, I, the reason I, I, I reached out to, to find out more about it, because that's basically, um, well, you will tell us a bit more in detail now, but it's basically a sort of a certification program so that your members can get uh, validated and certified for a number of uh, sustainability criteria, which I think it's not just environmental criteria, but also some social, uh, social criteria as well. Absolutely. Well, first of all, congratulations. You've done incredibly good research there. Um, because most people, quite rightly, as soon as you hear the word sustainability, they translate that into environmental responsibility, which is absolutely critical and a crucial component, but it's not the only aspect. For us, sustainability is much more aligned to the United Nations uh, Sustainable Development Goals, where there's 17. Um, and really we focus in on, on five key areas, which is you know, people, planet, prosperity, and that's supported by partnerships and innovation. Mm -hmm. And and the reason why we, um, and in fact, it's it's not a new initiative. Um, Tiaka has had a multi-year uh, focus on sustainability. It starts with the fact that we run an annual sustainability survey where we gauge the basic position from the entire industry, from all sectors, and then we publish a sustainability insights report. And this, again, is a measurement to say to what degree is it important to the CEOs, to customers, to financial houses, for example, to partners? How is it factoring into procurement processes? To what degree are employees, make, employees making a decision on where to effectively put their loyalty? So we're, we're trying to get a barometer of where the industry is. And then last year, we published the first sustainability roadmap, which is really taking all of the information that we've gathered from the last few years in terms of the, uh, the surveys and the reports, and actually highlighted eight key areas that the industry should focus on, and then with some practical steps that they could actually implement. Mm -hmm. So the Blue Sky program is really then the next step of this. And, it, and it's really a multi-tiered uh, approach um, because the, the most important thing for us in terms of sustainability is it's not a right or wrong answer. It's not you are sustainable or you're not. We're all on a journey. We're on a private journey. You know, if you look at how we live our private lives, I would assume that most people are making con some concerted efforts to make some changes, whether or not it's about their health, 
things that they eat, about their lifestyle, whether or not they get more activity, perhaps spend less time looking at screens and more time looking at nature, whether or not it's about how we use perhaps less fossil-based fuels, how we can perhaps reduce our environmental footprint, how we can look at biodiversity, etc. So all of us are on a journey on our personal lives, and our views are that all of us are on a journey in our business lives as well. So the Blue Sky program is really a way to help organizations assess where they are and perhaps help them on that journey to where they would like to, to be or become. So it really comes through in terms of looking at the, the different areas and the first layer, and in fact, we call it tiers. So the first tier is really where organizations can have the tools, so we provide them the tools so they can do a self-assessment. Okay. It's a case of, here. it's a mirror. You know, here mm -hmm. are a number of questions. Just go through these questions. Look at your organization. Do you have a decarbonization program in place? Are you measuring your electricity usage? And have you got measures in place to actually reduce that? Are you looking at waste? What tools are you, are you employing to ensure that you've got an inclusive and diverse workforce? This, I think, is another really crucial aspect is the fact that many industries um, particularly the air cargo industry and aviation in general over the last few years has seemed to be male dominated. Um, and yet the society that we are serving is not. The society we are serving is the most diverse society you can get because it's the entire planet. Whether or not it's the people producing things or people buying things or people moving things, it's, it's about making sure that we can reflect as an industry the society that we are actually serving. So it's very important that organizations look to make sure that they have proper programs in place to attract um, and retain and develop the workforce. It's important we focus on helping individuals grow. It's also important that we help global society, whether or not it's charitable programs, biodiversity, our role to protect species. There are many occasions where um, transport in general, not just aviation, but transport is used by organizations who want to undertake illegal activity, moving things around that shouldn't be moved. So we have a role to play to protect that. So really that's where the first layer is, is helping organizations do that um, self-assessment. Where's the divide between what you members do, so the transport operators and what they transport? Um, I'm asking this because I learned the other day in, in one of those conversations I mentioned, for example, fashion is one of the industries that make a, a heaviest use of, of the air transport industry because of the needs of the fast fashion industry. And it's an industry that it's often subject to controversy because of uh, work conditions, for example, in, in, in the places where all these garments are produced. I'm just wondering up to what point these guidance and these guidelines apply to the, the items that are transported. They just only apply to the actual transportation operation itself, which is already quite a big, <laughs> a big endeavor, but just curious about this point. Yeah, that's a great question. And in fact, it's, it's, it's something which is even separate. It's in fact, it's more crucial than, than even anything that we're implementing as an industry voluntary basis, which is regulatory compliance. Mm -hmm. You know, all organizations, whether or not they're manufacturers of a small factory somewhere in the world or mega factories, they have to conform to regulatory compliance and guidelines. And there is also aspects of know your customer, um, there's ethical practices, et cetera. But it starts, of course, with the number one priority is safety and security. So if people are manufacturing electronic goods, they have to be manufactured in full compliance with international regulations because we don't want to place anybody's health at risk, whether or not it's in the supply chain or the end consumer. So as an industry, we work very closely with regulators we work very closely with numerous international 
UN agencies, etc., about illicit goods, about um, uh, humanitarian concerns, about the protection of, I, I don't want to use this, this phrase um, too loosely, but shall we say vulnerable peoples around the world who are perhaps being exploited in certain manufacturing environments. So as an industry, we place a very strong focus on making sure that where we can support, and it's where we can support, because of course, there are smugglers around the world who do their damnedest to try and um, circumvent and undermine international regulations and best practices. But as an industry, we apply the four eyes approach, where we can look at things, where we can identify things, where we can report things. If we mm -hmm. see it and it doesn't look good, we report it and we work with the authorities to eradicate, as it were, illegal and bad practices. So whilst the programs that we're putting in place are focused predominantly on the organizations that are um, directly involved in the air cargo industry, part of the considerations for that is what programs do they have in place to identify um, perhaps things such as even the transportation of smuggled and, and illegal wildlife. Mm -hmm. uh, so we have, pro we have part of our, our questionnaire or our assessment is, are you training your people to look for the signs to how to spot this? Um, yeah. It's also about know your customer. If you have a regular customer who's, who ships, as it were, electronic goods all the time, and then all of a sudden it's a live animal or some description, then you have to say, well, has this been, or is this being transported in full compliance with international regulations? So part of our overall value-based assessment of looking at organizations, it's also part of the assessment to see how they are looking at the broader society. What percentage of the global air cargo industry do your members represent? Um, well, the program, the Blue Sky program is actually not just confined to Tiaka members. It's, mm -hmm. it's everybody in the world. So all organizations can actually download the guidelines. And if they wanted us to go through the second tier, which we can talk about in a while, which is the verifications and then the full audit, that's open to everybody. Mm -hmm. um, so as a, we, we haven't really got a percentage uh, in terms of what value of the global business that our members actually um, handle, because of course, we've got some very large integrators, we've got some very large freight forwarders, we've got some large ground handlers. So, you know, if you were to look at the ground handlers in our organizations, which are the major ones of the world, well, they're handling the cargo on behalf of hundreds of airlines, some of which are Tiaka members, others are not. The same mm -hmm. for the freight forwarders. So it's it's not really a uh, a statistical comparison that 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 makes a lot of sense because we, we say that this industry is a community. It's mm -hmm. an ecosystem and that we try and unite everybody, whether or not they're members or non-members. Okay. But let's say like all the major or pretty much all the major operators are, are there represented. Uh? We, we've got a significant number. We've got about 40 plus airlines and say we've got some, some large integrators. We've got major ground handlers, major freight forwarders. Um, mm -hmm. We've got some, some, we've got few shippers, not, not too many shippers. It's an area we would like to attract more. Mm -hmm. It's of course the shippers, which are the manufacturers are the ones that are really the beginning users of the system. Mm -hmm. um, major equipment manufacturers, you know, aircraft producers. A new area is we're getting some, uh, a lot of drone manufacturers, because of course that's a new development uh, in the industry going forward, training mm -hmm. organizations. So we're trying to be a broad organization that can attract um, all categories. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so getting back to the, the Blue Sky program, uh, we left it at the, at the first yeah. stage, which is basically the sort of self-assessment. But there are other, as you mentioned, there are other tires there as you advance through this, through this program. What would be, uh, let's say, 
you've completed as an organization, you've completed this first self-assessment, what's the next step to follow? Right. Again, that's a great question because if you go through the self-assessment and as I say, it's a journey. So, you know, what we would through, go through these questions and I would expect most organizations to go through this, this quite lengthy detailed questionnaire and come up with some areas to say, wow, we're actually really doing incredibly well there. And perhaps other areas they say, hmm, this is something we, we really overlooked and perhaps we could focus more in. So we would hope that it would trigger again, internal action to say, let's identify areas that we can progress through. But then the value of, as it were, the next tier, which is what we would call the desktop or remote validation exercise, is where they can actually get an independent assessment of really where they stand. So what would happen there is that we would then send, it's actually a slightly more detailed questionnaire than the one that they've actually got to do the self-assessment. But most importantly, it requires um, organizations to submit evidence-based um, data. So in other words, it's not just a case of, do you have a policy of reducing your electrical usage, for example, or do you have a policy to um, enhance your recruitment of different categories of employee, or you know, do you have a program to train and develop? It's not a case of yes, yes, and yes, great, you get good points. You need it's, to prove it. You need to prove it, um, mm -hmm. exactly. You need to demonstrate, you need to submit copies of, of policies, you need to submit specific examples, photographs. You know, if you say, yes, we've invested in cool facilities, et cetera, anything that can actually demonstrate that you have actually proven success in this. Then we will undertake a, a, an independent assessment. We, we're working with an external company that developed the program with us called Change Horizon, uh, which has a, a very broad and high degree of expertise in this area of sustainability. And then we would actually go through and assess the inputs based on the eight key priorities that I mentioned previously for the roadmap. And, and, and those are the following, for example, uh, under the environmental aspect, it's about de decarbonization activity. What are they doing to actually um, improve and reduce their environmental footprint? What are they doing about eliminating waste? Um, and what are they doing about protecting biodiversity? And this is again, where we're talking about our role that we can play as an industry um, to ensure that the smuggled wildlife um, is actually identified and eradicated because that is a huge concern. Um, too many species are actually being identified for poachers because there are markets around the world and the air, ocean, road, rail, all modes of transport uh, are working collectively with a number of international agencies to protect that. So it's great again that we can highlight for organizations what they're doing in that area or at least get them to look at what they're doing. Then we have another area, which is what we call the society area, which is how organizations are supporting local economies and co communities, what they're doing to perhaps actually increase air cargo supply chains and, and business connectivity, how we're helping developing nations take product and take it to the global marketplace or bring it to the global marketplace in an efficient manner, um, and how we can actually improve lives and, and well-being. You know, the air cargo industry is a great enabler, and particularly when you look at it with regards to development programs that uh, the WTO or, or the UN are actually doing to helping with uh, developing nations. You know, air cargo can provide the best and most effective access to global markets. So are individual organizations or what are individual organizations doing to actually support that? How are they helping? How are they reaching out? So we give areas of assessment in that. And then the last aspect is what we collectively call the culture and leadership area, which is then we would assess organizations and provide them feedback with regards to efficiencies and profitability. 
again, this is assess, assesses, do they have digital um, strategy in place? To what degree are they improving their systems? Are they process driven? Are they quality management driven? So all those actually lead to a more uh, prosperous organization, which collectively leads to a more efficient organizations, which can then actually lead to a more efficient and prosperous industry, again, to help the global economy. Also very important here is how they can attract, retain and develop employees. As I mentioned earlier, this, this to us is, is very crucial. Um, and as sustainability becomes a key, in, a key differentiator for the next generation of workforces that we identify through various different working with different organizations who've done studies to say that people are taking decisions, not just on what traditionally would be, you know, how much am I being paid? Where do I work? Do I get to travel, etc. But now it's things like, well, what conditions will I work in? Can I work from home? Do I have an opportunity to actually develop myself and grow? What are your considerations for working with charitable organizations? Do I get an opportunity to speak with senior leadership? So all of these are, are very key considerations. So it's important organizations know that so they can start prepare and planning for the future. And then the last of our eight areas is, is how organizations build and nurture partnerships. Uh, because this is a very complex industry that's established on partnerships and organizations that work more, more cohesively together have a, shot, uh, a shared and common vision that those are gonna be the most successful. And this is where we feel that sustainability credentials will play an increasingly important role, a more important role of how partners are selected. You know, you, if you find an organization that's got the highest degree of, of approach to all of the various categories that we've mentioned, they perhaps will only select partners who can match their, their vision and their approach to these uh, particular type of key areas. Financing. We know that a lot of banks are going into ethical or green financing. So if somebody can demonstrate how they are actually seeking to improve upon their environmental aspect, which is a, a component of what we're doing, it might enable them to get access to more financing. So there's lots of spin-off benefits, which are not just about the um, I'm doing, you know, the feel-good factor, but it's also from a, a business development and business success factor that these are, are crucial considerations. Yeah. So basically, would you say the the main advantage for for an organization to go through all this process is to get this sort of like a label of good conduct in a way? Uh, that can, uh, in, in this environment in which we live in, where, in which these uh, ESG uh, goals matter, it's a plus for the company in this, in, in this context. In Like, for example, getting uh, better appreciated, let's say this way, by the financial community or stakeholders have a better, uh, a better yeah. standing in the public space. Yeah, well, it's actually, I mean, similar to that, yes. But I mean, because we're not saying it's a pass or fail. It's not you pass, you fail. It's mm -hmm. everybody's journey. So it's a way of independently confirming where you are on your journey. So quite rightly, so as you say, if, if I go in today and, and I, let's say I want to get a loan and the bank says to me, okay, Glenn, how, what are your credentials in these areas? How do you actually work to improve society? And I can say, well, trust me, I do everything there is possible. There's, there's nothing to validate. So if an organization can have with them a dashboard or a scorecard that we have actually produced for them. Or if they go for the third tier, which is an on-site audit, where they will get a fully detailed report of proposed areas to improve upon as well, this will help them on their journey. And it will also demonstrate to potential partners and others that they value where they are in their journey to the extent that they have sought independent validation. And as you say, that also in itself demonstrates 
Because even if somebody's dashboard or scorecard comes out and says, of all these eight key areas, you really need to make a lot of improvements in all eight. Even that, I think, is a great result because it shows that somebody has demonstrated the willingness and desire to improve where they are today. Mm -hmm. And I think that to me is probably the most important thing. And this is why it's so crucial to start now, because wherever people identify where they are now, they're actually then making a visible commitment to say, we want to improve upon that. Because we recommend that this is then done every two years, that they invite us back in or for them to resubmit the information so we can give them an update as to how they've actually progressed. Mm -hmm. You use the word independent. How does it work? Right. Well, certainly it would not be an in-house team because we want to keep an arm's length. You know, our, our role here is to actually um, promote the program and promote the benefits of the program, but not be involved specifically in the assessments of what people are actually submitting. So the organization I say that we developed this program with Change Horizon, uh, they will be the party that will be performing the remote assessments for the first phase. And then the second tier, which we launch next year, which is where we will actually have a network of independent assessors who will then be able to go out on site and actually perform the the assessment of those individual organizations and and that's an, a network which we've yet to start recruiting but again we will recruit those from from the industry whether or not that's other consulting firms or independent or uh, individuals perhaps who've been involved in training um you know there's lots of other organizations out there performing this 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 um, numerous different types of programs addressing different areas of activity, which have proven that that is a, a very successful approach. Mm -hmm. You mentioned the on-site uh, verification. Is that the next evolution? Like, is the evolution from the, the verification, the documentation checks first? And next step would be to, to have someone visit the premises of the company in question and, and ask questions and, and see how things are done there? Absolutely. Yes. And, and again, you know, again, we, we would say to every organization, they should really assess to what degree of information they would like to get back from the program. If they just really want to feel that they're starting out and they feel that they just want to use the mirror, which is that first layer, which is they download and do their own self-assessment. It's a free of charge download. I would recommend all organizations go through and at least start to look at the areas that we've highlighted that are, are key areas going forward. Then, as we say, other companies will say, well, I, I'm, I feel that I would like to get that independent assessment, so I will go for that remote validation. And then there will be a, a third group of companies who will say, well, actually, I'm really interested in getting that independent guidance as to which areas I need to improve upon, because they would then get, after the internal, uh, the on-site uh, assessment, is they would get a, a full report, which highlights the areas that they perhaps could uh, make some improvements on which then can actually maybe accelerate them along their, their journey and their path. But of mm -hmm. course, that would require somebody to spend a good couple of days with them and really doing a thorough assessment of the organization. And, and I guess it's going gonna, it's gonna to have a cost as well for the organization going through this process? Yeah, it, it, as I say, the first stage, which is the, the first phase, first tier, which is the self-assessment, that's free of charge, that's downloadable. Mm -hmm. The others do have a cost because there is a, an attributed price because there's an attributed cost associated with it. We, we haven't yet actually established the cost. We're just going through the pilots of the on-site verification mm -hmm. process now. Um, we, we have a number of pilots which will be finishing actually in the next couple of weeks. So we hope by the end of this month, we can actually publish what the, the, the pricing are. And again, part of our sustainable approach, we will then aim to try and um, promote as much as possible to 
um, developing nations. So we would have um, discounts available to organizations that would fall into um, certain developing nations and, and other criteria. So we would very much try and make this accessible to all because we feel the benefit is to the many. Yeah, I've seen on, on your website that this is actually, this program has just been kickstarted now, right? It's uh, yeah. in, in last quarter, I think, was the verification, the online verification phase was launched and it's going to be rolling out over the coming months. When is it going to be fully functional, like the whole, the whole system? Well, well we, as you say, we announced the program in March at our event uh -huh. in San Francisco. We commenced immediately sought input from our, our volunteers for, for pilots overwhelmed i have to be honest we were overwhelmed it was it was amazing the support that the that we were getting from the marketplace was was tremendous which told us or reconfirmed to us that that we we are on the right path you know this is something that's very crucial there's not an equivalent program in the industry uh, at the moment so we felt that this was a good recognition that we're on the right journey um so we we selected three different organizations in different categories to go through the pilots with us the pilots, they've conducted their, their submissions. Uh, again, the first concern I had was, were we going to be demanding too much evidence? The feedback came back saying that the balance was right in terms of the number of questions being asked, the type of feedback that was being requested, and the degree of evidence that they had to supply. So that was the second assessment that was, or the second tick box. The third one now is we're going through the, the verification and the assessment of the results, and then we will provide back in, in the scorecards. This we hope to be concluded by the end of June. And then from, I would say, July onwards, we will be in a position to go live with that second tier, which is the uh, remote uh, verification, desktop verification process. And then I would then suggest that during the next six months, seven months, et cetera, we will commence with trying to uh, engage or recruit that global network of on-site validators so that we can then go down through and launch the program uh, next year, the, the final phase, which is the uh, on-site verification process. Mm -hmm. and, and the companies that complete or companies, organizations that complete this process, are they going to get uh, some sort of physical or visual manifestation of, of, of the fact they pass this process? I mean, like, you know, like those badges, you have like the restaurants that get the Michelin stars or, or, or the fair trade, or the, or the fair, trade, uh, fair trade label that you, you find in, in, in coffee packaging or... or, or yeah, exactly. Or the, only thing, the only thing I'd correct you is because you use the word pass. Nobody, it's, it's not a pass or fail. So it's, it's a completion. So everybody okay. does get there. So they, but the answer to your question is, yes, they all get back feedback so they get back the personalized dashboard which mm -hmm. will show in each of the eight areas that have been assessed where they are whether or not they're for example okay. role model they are good practice they have developments to do not yet started or you know wherever they are in terms of the assessment side so everybody's dashboard will be personalized mm -hmm. how they do it we won't we it's not for us then to publish it to say that company x has been through and here is their dashboard this information is private if an organization then wishes to share through their social media channels, through with their partners, with whomever, that's in, entirely up, up to them. Okay, uh, one, one detail uh, on your website, you mentioned that there's gonna be an online tool, uh, it's gonna be soon available for uh, organizations to basically to keep track of all this. So if I understand it correctly, right now this is done a bit ad hoc with, uh, uh, spreadsheets and, and, and this type of tools, but the, the idea is to have some sort of software. I don't know if it's the right word, to, to, like an application or some uh, just off the shelf 
uh, software yeah, that will allow them to, to track that. Yeah, well, we're, we're kind of automating it as we go through. I mean, it's a bit more than just a, a like an Excel spreadsheet they complete. It's, it's a bit more detailed than that because we want to make sure that they have options to pull down so mm -hmm. that we can kind of guide them in terms of, you know, how do you respond to a particular question? If you've got 10 various standard responses, it helps assess on a commonality basis mm -hmm. and it helps the user go through that process. So we're automating as much as we can the actual process. Um, the information that they receive back then will be an information pack. So it'll actually come through um, as a digital pack so that they can actually get their, their dashboard um, spidergram, for example, and what it means in each of the areas what typically goes behind each of the responses. So that it's, be, it's a little bit more meaningful than just a single page assessment. And then of course, when, when we go through and, and launch the, the upper tier, then of course they'll get back a very detailed uh, report card. So companies, organizations that want to be part of this, where should they go? Where can they find all this information and sign up for the Blue Sky program? A great question. I had forgotten to mention that. So thank you very much, Miguel, for the problem. No problem. It's, it's very straightforward. Just go to tiaca.org. So that's T-I-A-C-A dot O-R-G. And then on our website, it's it's very simple, straightforward website. We, we've kind of made it a very simple, easy to maneuver. Um, and you will see a scrolling bar that comes on the front screen. And one of those pictures will be blue sky. You can click on it. It then takes you to a page, gives you a little bit more information. And there's a link in there to click to say, um, I'd be interested to get more. Or also on that page, they can download, as it were, the, the guidelines, which is that first assessment or that first um, self-assessment phase. So it's very straightforward to register their interest. And then we can be back in touch. And, um, you know, there's, there's no commitment at that stage. It could be just an exploratory message. And then we're happy to engage with people. Um, because for us, the value of this program is to really help the industry demonstrate the great work that's being done to help the industry realize there's more work that needs to be done in different areas, and then to help also demonstrate beyond this industry, i.e. to the, the users of the system, to, to the global community, that as an industry, we are taking responsibility for all areas of what we would define as a sustainability um, priority or sustainability strategy. Excellent. Well, I'm going to be definitely adding links to all these resources on the, on the show notes so that people can find it easily. Very interesting initiative. Definitely something that I think it's going to do lots of good, bring more um, consciousness as well about all the sustainability issues and, and sustainability and also in a social, in a social sense. So uh, yeah, just uh, wanted to thank you again for, for your time today. And, and for giving us a chance to, to learn about the Blue Sky program. I don't know if there's any, anything else uh, you would like to add at this, at this point before we wrap up. Other than just to say thank you very much, Miguel. I really appreciate you, know, you taking an interest in this as well. The research that you've done, I know you've got an awful lot of things that, that you have on your plate. And the fact that you've identified this as an important area for the industry actually gives me great comfort as well to know that if it's something that the broader industry is, is uh, placing a value on, then again, I'm, I'm comforted to know that we are also picking the right topics to place our time and energy and resources. So thank you very much for um, the time today. You're welcome and it's been a pleasure. So thank you very much. Bye. Bye-bye. Before you go, and if you like this podcast, a quick reminder that it would be absolutely great if you could please give it a rating on Apple, Spotify, or whichever platform you're using, or recommend it to a friend or whomever might be interested. Thank you very much and see you soon.